Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger and with me is my co-host Chase McCallum and today we have some hockey to talk about. Uh, unlike yesterday, if we were going to be recording this, we wouldn't have had any hockey to talk <laughs> about of the night of uh, because the NHL decided not to put any games on the Tuesday Uh this wasn't on our schedule, but I, it just kind of came to mind as I started here, Chase. We should quickly talk about it. The NHL is unrivaled when they come to scheduling decisions. They are. They're they're amazing at it. I, I love it. I'm a huge fan. It is absolutely absurd. Um, anyone who missed it, which probably didn't, but they had seven games on the Monday, which is a little more than usual, but not like unrealistic or anything like that. Zero games on Tuesday, 15 games on Wednesday, zero on Thursday, 13 on Friday, and eight on Saturday of this week. And the Thursday makes sense. It's American Thanksgiving. Football's on all day. I totally understand why they wouldn't want to go up against that. What I still cannot wrap my head around is how they didn't get a singular game on Tuesday night. It's insane. Apparently, it was mostly because of scheduling conflicts, but, like, I just don't know. Like, there was only two, the the 76ers and the Lakers were the only two NBA teams hosting a game that an NHL team would have been playing in the same building. So are you telling me there was 30 concerts going on? Yeah, everyone was doing a concert at the exact same time. And I'm pretty sure I saw them say there was only like three or four buildings. It's like, well, then use those at least two of them. Like they have no games on a Tuesday, which is one of their kind of dedicated nights for games too. This is the other thing. If it was a Monday or a Friday, I would kind of understand a little more, you know, Mondays, they try not to go up against the NFL at night. And, you know, it's just a lighter one anyways. Sundays, they don't like going up against the NFL at all. And, you know, Fridays, because Saturday's their big day, there's not a ton of games on usually either. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are the three days I think of when I think of NHL hockey. It goes Saturday, then Tuesday, then Thursday in my mind. How do you not have any games on two of those days? One of them you have a valid reason, the other you do not. Yeah, that's just ridiculous. It It's absurd. And like it's it's not just that, too. Like I, I was I couldn't believe Ottawa's schedule when I looked at it today. I tweeted it out, and apparently I'm not the only one because since Twitter has really loved this tweet. But so Ottawa wraps up their Sweden trip, which we'll get to in a in a minute on last Saturday. They don't play until Friday, November 24th. All right, fair enough. Six days off, like you're traveling across the world. Fair enough. Don't no complaints about that. They then don't play either of Saturday, Sunday that weekend, but the Monday, and then they don't play until Friday, December 1st. I I just don't get it. Like, they, they had nine games in November. Some of that was because of the Sweden trip. December, they have 15 games. January, they have 15 games. I think February, they have like 13. And March, they have 16. They're playing every other night for four months straight now because they've played once a week, basically, for the first two months of this season. The teams have to be so pissed off at that, right? You would think so. And again, like... And this was kind of what some people pointed out about the Sweden trip of is like, it's really obnoxiously annoying for scheduling to have it right in the middle of the year. But also like, I like they didn't help themselves out. Like okay, Ottawa, I'm just counting games played here. Two, four, six, seven, eight. They played eight games in all of October. Bit of a, like they only started, you know, just before mid October. So that's on pay average for 11 or 12. So still on the lower side, but not horrible, right? In November, they play one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine total games in all of November, a full month. December, they then play 15. January, they play 15. February is a lighter month because the All-Star break is the first week of February. Um, but from February 10th to February 27th, so that's what? A 17-day stretch. They play 10 games, 10 games in 17 days. That's absurd. Yeah, at a professional level, that's just so unneeded. I 
and I'm sure Ottawa's not the only one. It's just the only team I've actually like looked at that in depth. But it's just like, oh my gosh, like you couldn't figure out a little better way to balance this out. Oh yeah, like I'm sure they're not the only team going through the same exact same thing. Yeah, but it's just obnoxiously weird um, on the NHL's part. But anyways, I don't think there's much more to add on that uh, other than how weird it was. I mentioned the Sweden trip. Let's get into that. Obviously, four games, kind of talked about it briefly last week, four games happening over in Sweden. Uh, Ottawa played Detroit, Toronto played Detroit, Ottawa played Minnesota, and Toronto played Minnesota. So Ottawa and Toronto didn't play, Minnesota and Detroit didn't play. Uh, both Ottawa and Toronto come out 2-0 and from it. Uh, Detroit goes out 0-1-1, and the Wild go out 0-2-2, or sorry, 0-0-2. Both games lost in extra time. Um, So three of the four games going to extra time, and even the Leafs-Detroit game that didn't was a pretty tight game. Like, Detroit had the lead until the third period where Toronto came storming back. Um, It was interesting. I I don't know how much you got to watch. I watched most of the four games. It didn't feel that special to me like it was cool seeing all the Swedish legends over there like Alfredson was behind the bench uh Sundin dropped a puck you know like Lidstrom was out there there was a um Nasland I think was out there there was a bunch of guys for all the teams but like in terms of the actual hockey it, it didn't look that much different it was just honestly cool to have games on at like 8 a.m 11 a.m and 1 uh, 1 p.m or whatever oh yeah the timings were definitely the best part there was also like it it for sure felt like all-star game style where it's mainly, I'm sure, special when you're there. Like you don't really capture that on TV, right? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like even more aggressive in terms of, because like the Winter Classic, you know, my hot take or whatever, if you want to even call it that, is that the Winter Classic is probably underrated now because I do enjoy seeing the different look for a game or two, right? And apparently that is still awesome to be live. Yeah absolutely believe that so this feels like that even more where you're taking out the like it was cool to see a different building or whatever but once you see it once it's like okay i've seen it you know like i wouldn't want to see four winter classic games in a row at the same venue yeah been there done that yeah so well yeah as you mentioned like i'm sure it was special um william nylander who had five points in two games complete uh come continue sorry to be completely dominant uh he had a great time, and it sounds like it was just the William Nylander show over there, which shouldn't be shocking, but, you know, anywhere in North America the Leafs go, it's the Austin Matthews show. This was the William Nylander show. Oh, yeah. It absolutely was. And, like, it's just perfect time. You couldn't have written a better script that this is when you take the the trip and he's going absolutely nuclear this season. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he was on talk shows over there doing all kinds of hits and stuff like that. Um and it, yeah, it just worked out perfectly because that game against Detroit, I mentioned they stormed back in the third period. That was on the back of William Nylander. Uh, Tavares and Bertuzzi played really well in that game as well. But Nylander carried that team for about 10 minutes of the third period and drove them back into that game. Absolutely. He has maybe been their best player. I think so. I think he for sure been most consistent player. Yep. Yeah, like Matthews definitely had his moments where it's like, yeah, this guy could pretty easily win the MVP with the way McDavid's playing, but Nylander hasn't taken a night off. That's the, uh, that's the point streak. Yep. It's uh, pretty absurd. And it's funny listening to the dialogue of his contract come around now. Um, we don't yeah. need to get a ton into it. Like, I think the right take is that these 17 games definitely shows why he's a more valuable player than some part of the fan base probably was willing to admit. Uh, he's obviously not as good as we playing these for these 17 games. And the reality of it is his contract price has definitely gone up. But if it was 9.5 before, it's probably 10.25 now. It hasn't gone up from 9.5 to $14 million, like a certain Pierre LeBron article was referencing earlier this week. Yeah, I've seen people start bringing up his like, oh, he needs to make more money than Marner and stuff. And it's like... No, that like he he's a very good player, but the problem is this will be the best year of his career, probably. 
and you really can't pay him at the peak. Like this is who he's going to be forever. Yeah. And like, you've seen seven years of data from him. Yeah. Like, yeah, like we know he's more than capable of being a, a point per game player, but he's not probably an MVP level player, which is fine. <laughs> what yeah, value. Exactly. What he does. Exactly. Like even if he regressed quote unquote regress next year to the 81 point player that we kind of knew him to be for four or five years there, that's worth $10 million and they should absolutely pay him that. But yeah, yep. the, the quote of like, I've talked to rival executives and they said that they would pay him $14 million. Like, yeah, I'm sure they say that because they're trying it. It's not their team. So they're hyping up everyone on the other team. That's just yeah. smart. Rival executives, breaking news. Rival executives think the Leafs should go broke. Yeah, I'm sure rival executives think that they should probably re-up John Tavares at $13 million when his contract's up, too. That would be nice. Like, so, I don't know. It's just funny that, like, the first thing... And the narrative has flipped so aggressively, too, right? Like, even coming into this year, I felt like people are like, are you nuts? There's no way he should even hit 10. And now it's like, well, you got to pay this guy upwards of almost $11 million. It's like, what? It is funny how much he flipped that with just this year. Yeah. And I get like, it's 17. And I get, he's been, I don't want to talk bad about William Nylander. He's an amazingly fun player to watch and always has been, but it's been 17 damn games. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I hope they extend them. I don't even really care if it's a negative EV contract, which I'm sure it will be. Um, I just love the way he plays and shit. But yeah, like the, the numbers getting thrown out are starting to get stupid. Yeah, they're absolutely getting ridiculous. And and like that's why I don't think Toronto's going to do anything unless, you know, Nylander agrees when I don't see... Because if you are Nylander, I don't see why you would agree to anything right now unless, you know, the Leafs absolutely blew you out of the water. But it's just kind of a, a middle ground where I think both are just going to kind of stand where they are because they know it's probably going to come down to a little higher than the Leafs wanted, but a little lower than what Nylander was actually asking for and just be right in the middle, which is totally fine. And it's totally fine if they don't sign that contract until June or whatever. Yep. Yeah. It's no rush. They can still give him the eighth year, which no one else can. Yep. Exactly. And, and the other thing is too, you mentioned it might be a negative EV contract. It might not. If William Nylander wants to bet on himself again and take four or five years. Yeah. Yeah. You could go with the Matthews route. Which Getting the is, term down would be probably pretty good. Yeah, I, it's, it's funny because people look at that as like a negative for Toronto. From what I've seen too, they're like, well, you already offered Matthews five years. Why would you not offer Nylander? It's like, well, the first time they did that was pretty stupid. But this time it is just actually smart to block them down for into their 32nd or 32-year-old season or whatever instead of 35. Yeah, exactly. This is the time you want less term. The first time through, you wanted more because then you wouldn't be having this problem right now. Yeah, exactly. If they would have signed him to the eight-year deal originally, it'd be, holy crap, this guy's on pace for 120 points. He's making $6.9 million. Yeah, and say it's it's seven and a half then or whatever. Now, if we were talking about it the way we were talking about the Pasta contract or the McKinnon contract before they re-signed. Yeah, and, uh, exactly. Even like the dry cycle contract. You know, yeah, like, yeah, the dry side of eight five is probably the perfect one there. So, um, yeah, I mean, a good trip for Toronto overall, though. They take four points. It, it wasn't the most perfect hockey in the world, but four points is four points. And that's kind of how I feel about Ottawa's game as well. They played two, uh, one wild game. They blew a four nothing lead against Detroit in a singular period and ended up winning it in overtime with a Stutzla baseball goal. Uh, where he just smacked it out of midair into the top corner. Reimer ducked the puck, and there was only three seconds left. Just an absolutely chaotic game. That was a ridiculous game. There were a but, couple good games like that over there. Yeah, I, honestly, I thought the all hockey was good. Yeah, I thought all four games were solid. Like I, I don't think you could complain, especially as a neutral fan, about maybe the Ottawa Minnesota game. That wasn't the most thrilling thing in the world, but. Even that, it's not like it was the worst thing I've ever witnessed either. Yeah, I didn't see that one, to be honest, but I definitely trust your word on, on that. Yeah, it was it was about what you would expect when you say Ottawa and Minnesota are playing. There's a lot of sloppy play, and then <laughs> yeah. about 10 minutes of really exciting hockey. 
Yeah, that checks out. Um, one team that didn't have a great trip over there, uh, and, and ironically isn't actually the worst of the two teams because they at least got two points, whereas Detroit only got one. But if you ask me, Minnesota's game, like if you were, are you feeling worse about your trip if you're Minnesota or Detroit? I guess is how I'll phrase this question. I'm probably feeling worse about Minnesota because I had higher expectations coming into the year. I agree, and they've already been low to start the year. Like Detroit started so hot, they're down to eight, six, and three now. So they're they're creeping around five hundred. But like they started six and two or whatever. Whereas Minnesota's five, eight, and four. They, they have the four loser points, which is helping them. But like they're on an L five and sliding down the standings right now. Yeah, yeah. Like we were talking about the Canucks banking points so well that they're probably in. Like the inverse of that is Minnesota. Yeah, like they're only three points ahead of the Oilers, who are in full-blown panic mode right now. Yeah, they're four points ahead of the Blackhawks, who are happily tanking. They're behind the Flames, who have they've turned it on a little bit too. They have points in eight of their last ten, but like they're behind the Flames, who only have seventeen points in eighteen games. It's not like they're lighting it up either. Yeah, it's just not a good spot to be. What's his name? Looks absolutely cooked. Um. Uh, Gustafson. Yes. Yeah. Gustafson has had a rough year. And I'm sure he'll turn around, but wow, it's been ugly thus far. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because this is, you know, Sens fans are kind of having a bit of a laugh about it and there's only so far it can go. I've seen people be like, this is redemption. It's like, well, no, Cam Talbot is playing on the LA Kings and you got absolutely nothing out of that deal. It's not really <laughs> redemption. Yeah. But it is funny that like, because it was like people were declaring, declaring that already one of the worst trades of the decade when it was made. Yeah, last year. that's what I was going to say. I saw people be like, is this one of the worst trades of all time? It's like, well, let's maybe relax a little bit for now. Yeah, because this is exactly what Ottawa saw to Gustafson in a much smaller sample size, where for about 20 games, 15 games, he would look unreal and look and be like, oh, this is a goalie of the future. And then the following year, he was unplayable for 30 games. It's like, hmm, that's not great. Same thing. This is like he's got a negative seven goal saved above expected in just under five hundred minutes. Jeez. Yeah, it makes sense. I think he has like one monster four four goal saved above expected shutout in there too. Does he not? That sounds right. Like, I think he played. Yeah, I think I can't remember who they played, but I, I'm pretty sure he absolutely stonewalled someone one night, and then it's just been a disaster. Other uh, other sense. He played good against Ottawa or fine against Ottawa, but like. It just hasn't been good enough. But I, I think, honestly, one of the bigger concerns I'd have if I'm Minnesota is Kirill Kaprasov does not look like himself right now. No, he hasn't been awful, but Mm-mm. no, he doesn't they, look good. They need him to be an absolute star if they want to win or be yep. moderately successful, I'll even say. But yeah, and he's just been OK, is the way I would put it. Yeah, yeah, like he doesn't look dangerous on every single shift which at his best he absolutely does that's a great way to put it because the the two games that i watched this weekend i noticed him here and there where i would see the skill like he would make an insane deke and throw a puck out front and we just go through people's skates and out the other way i'd be like oh there's kaprasov and then i would just not notice him for 10 minutes at a time yeah which is not what the wild needs no, you, you just can't have that. And especially with the $14.5 million or whatever it is in dead cap right now. Yeah, you you can't be writing off that much money and not getting... Like, somebody's going to need to start dramatically performing their contract to make up for $14 million written off. And if you're getting bad goaltending and writing off $14 million, that's going to be a death sentence unless the stars are all absolutely fl- frying. Yeah, and even, like... They need that, and that, that was the my problem with them coming into the year too. It's like you need goaltending to hold up because if it doesn't, you need your stars absolutely flying. And if your stars are even just like ninety percent of their potential, you're still probably screwed. Yeah, you're done because like you're just punting twenty percent of your salary cap to nothing. Yeah, yeah, it's just I mean, way, yeah, like yeah, twenty percent, I guess, basically. Like it's so, so hard to overcome. Yeah, and and I get it. Like, I don't know. I, I still go back and forth. It's like 
I, I kind of understand the decision at the time, but also it's like, man, like this was the most obvious outcome. And it's really unfortunate because I defended it at the time because I didn't think they were going to have that competitive of a team. Like I thought they were going to be trying to end a rebuild right about now. Whereas instead they actually looked like they had like a, a really solid team for a year or two there. And now it's like, well, you've just lost so much cap. There's not much you can do here. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get out of it now? There's and there. There is an obvious way out of it now. No, there really isn't. Like you just kind of got to bide your time until this goes down and then you kind of retool or whatever. Yeah. You just have to eat it, I guess. Yeah. But it's tough too, because like they're, they are a talented enough roster where they're not going to bottom out. No, I don't even think they'll get close. I know they're struggling right now, but I mean, they're back to the thing that everybody used to make fun of them for, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like just being the most mid-team in the world. Like, And and that's the thing is like, we just talked about how dire their situation is. It's like, well, they're still tied for like fifth last in the league. Like they would have the fifth best lottery odds right now. And that's at worst case scenario. So they are probably getting up to like, 19th or whatever yeah oh yeah you know they're not gonna finish quite this bad so um yeah and then you got detroit who dropped uh, the crazy game to ottawa which i think they probably would have been just happy with a point after the first period when they were down four nothing uh and then lost to toronto in a game they um it kind of looked by the third period that you could tell one team was on a back-to-back and the other was not (laughs) the the ice tilted pretty aggressively Oh, absolutely. That's I. I don't know if anyone's ever looked into this. I'm sure somebody has. I wonder if there's something there where you would study the back-to-back effect. Isn't linear over the course of a game, but it stacks. Yeah, I can see it where it's like, especially because you know they talk about everyone knows playing in a back-to-back, you're at a disadvantage, and I wonder if guys come out like giving more energy at the start of the game to try and convince themselves their legs are underneath them or whatever. Whereas that yeah, would then make it that. even worse. You're like, I got this. I'm fine. Yeah. And by the third period, it's like, oh, now you've played two games in 24 hours going all out and you are just exhausted. Yeah. You're just fully out of juice. But it would be something the cool if, you know, if there is data out there, I'd love to see it because, yeah, I, I could definitely, I see what you're saying. Like, it probably isn't a linear effect of like first period, they're bad. Second period, they're that, that just as bad. And third period, it's, it's probably like, like if it'd be really interesting to see if it is like first period they look really good or or just normal okay even. yeah normal yeah second period it drops off a little bit and the third period it's like oh they're getting just caved in yeah it just goes out the window but um yeah I don't know much more on the Sweden trip um it, it was fine like it, it was it was good it seemed cool for the players and uh, most of the teams over there either had a really prominent Swedish player. Uh, a really prominent Swedish history or just a bunch of Swedish players like uh, Minnesota, I thought was kind of the odd man out in terms of the history, but I'm pretty sure they have the second or first most Swedish players in the league, apparently with like six on their team. So that's cool. I guess Erickson Eck, uh, Gustafsson, Gustafsson. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's definitely more as I go to pull Marcus Johansson, Sweden. Uh, yes, I believe he would be. Yeah, uh, Norwegian, I think. Yes, he's Norwegian. Um, now, okay, there we go. I have their cap friendly opened up. Um, Erickson Eck, Marcus Johansson, no, Rossi's not. Um, it's Brodine Canadian? Nope, Brodine Swedish. Swedish. I can't believe that, I didn't say Brodine first. Yeah, that, that's a big enough player as well, right? Gustafsson, obviously. Um, so there's four. I'm sure I'm missing a depth player here or whatever. But uh, yeah, like they had a they have a decent amount to, is kind of the point there. And um, it, it was cool. I, I thought it was, it, it made more sense to me to send four teams over like that and get a mix of games versus like when yeah, Ottawa cool. last... Yeah, like, like when Ottawa went last or a couple of years ago, they just played Colorado in back-to-back games. It's like, well, that's fine, but it is cool seeing just a bunch of different games go together. Yeah, it feels like a mini community kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, exactly. It's a good way to grow the game, which yes. a lot of people, including us, complained about the NHL for not doing. So it's good to yep. see. I completely agree. 
Let's move on, but before we do, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and I want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbooks accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there's never been a better time to sign up than now. When you visit our page, signupexpert.com slash MNM, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, along with a review of each platform and the unique benefits it brings. All these sportsbooks have valuable signup offers for new users, and when you register through our link, you will automatically receive the top odd offer for any book. When you use multiple sports books, you ensure that you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our brand, please consider signing up for the next sports book at signupexpert.com slash MNM. All right, on to a couple other things quickly here. Uh, I mentioned Edmonton. Again, they're they're just going through it right now. They can't get a save. Dreisaitl has not been playing great, and McDavid it's definitely not been playing great. Like, he looks hurt, hurt still. Um, I don't know if I have much to say on the on ice, but, oh boy, is it getting feisty in the media right now. Yes, it is. It's a very contentious time, as it always is for some reason. Yeah, it's not like contentious is new, but uh, I've got to say, contentious between the entire, uh, the entire Edmonton media and a retired ref who, let's be honest, isn't the greatest person in the world either, is not what I had on my bingo card for this year. No, no, absolutely not. It's, um, I, I don't know what. How did this start? So it started I saw because... the thread, but... Yeah, so Tim Peel, kind of out of nowhere, it seemed like, the other night, posted a screenshot of him and uh, Mark Spector's DMs. And I'm going to pull this up because I would like to read them. Uh, if I can find Did he delete it? Oh, he might have deleted it. That would be a very Tim Peel move. Uh, no, there it is. There it is. He It's still up. Uh, so I don't know what he sent originally, but he must have tweeted something at Spector or something like that. But Spectre DMs, I'm saying, thanks for piling on, Tim. I'll remember that next time you F up. Uh, and then Tim responds, well, it's a stupid question. Of course they'd like to win 4-1. Uh, and then Spectre says, you refs never have the balls to answer a question for your shit-ass work, and you're critiquing me. And then Tim says, quit being so sensitive. That goes on to uh, Tim saying, then again, grow some balls, Mark. Never played the game. Mark goes, been around it long enough to know horseshit ref when I see one, Tim. I've been very good to read for my whole career, 35 years. Thanks for noticing. And then Tim Peel goes, you've always been a fraud, buddy. And posts it on Twitter. <laughs> to which Spectre, I think, replied, it's not, I don't even, I don't even know what Spectre's reply was, but it's not a big deal. But the almost more notable thing to me is Frank Saravalli, who, I was wondering why the hell he was getting involved, but then I remember he's the president of the PWHA or PHWA, sorry, which uh, Spectre is a member of. So I'm assuming oh, he's just defending his why guy, he got right? Involved. Yeah. Yes. Because this is just over the top row. Frank Cervelli comes out of nowhere and goes, Hey, Tim, nice work tweeting private combos. Ah, that's right. You couldn't spell class if I spotted you the ASS. Paid any visits to berate teenagers in a referee's locker room recently? Remember that? And then links the article to him reporting that he did that. Or did you drunk tweet it and delete it like usual? This is the most absurd thing I have seen in the NHL in a long time. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had a good Twitter spat. <laughs> Especially against like this high-ranking thing. And like, listen, I don't really want to give any airtime to Tim Peel or Mark Spector. I don't think either of them are particularly great people. I mean, I don't, I don't really know Mark Spector. I shouldn't say that about him, but like Tim Peel has I don't some... think he's a good hockey analyst. Yes, at he, the very yes least. exactly. I agree with that. And Tim Peel is not a good hockey analyst. He literally got fired for being a ref for admitting that he does his job incorrectly on a hot mic. And he's definitely not a good person with some of the stuff he, he tweets out. So there's not really a, a winning side to this by any means, but it is just crazy to see two people go at it this aggressively. That's so funny. Maybe Twitter is dying that we haven't seen that much of this stuff recently. Yeah, I just kind of feel like I used to always see this stuff with two people of like 4,000 tweets or whatever, right? Not 
literally a guy who's been writing for 35 years and a retired ref who's doing stuff for like it's a daily face-off, I think. Yeah, and the president of the PW or the Professional Hockey Writers Association getting involved and stuff. Yes, exactly. Like it's just so absurd. Um I think Jeffler tweeted out pretty well, like well, he, a quote tweets it and goes, uh, it's a YouTube video. It's just two idiots fighting the worst fight I've ever seen. It's like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. And then he goes, the best part about this whole thing is the root of their argument is about what the quote unquote right way for the Oilers to win is. They're five and 12 after being pegged as early cup favorites. Pretty sure they'll take any way to win at this point. And then he goes on to say, this is, I think, kind of what Spectre was saying, because he asked McDavid about, should you try to win every game 4-1 instead of 7-5? And McDavid's response was basically, you love that question. It's not like we're we're trying to keep pucks out of our net. And Jeff, Jeff Elias said, they should be a responsible hockey team, try to win 4-1 every night. Wow, I can't believe they never thought of aiming for the highest goals for a game in the league and lowest goals against game in the league history. You guys are friggin' geniuses. And that's a great way to wrap it up. That is a great way to wrap it up. They should have thought about that. Yep, they really should have just been the best team to ever step on the ice. Yeah. They should have tried tried the outscore button. Yep. They're idiots for not doing it, to be quite honest with you. Like Yeah. That's exactly what I would have done. Yep, exactly. Like we'd make great coaches for any any team wanting to hire us. Yeah. Yeah. DM us. <laughs> uh, we'll go as low as the AHL. Yep. Yep. ECHL, we'll have to think about. You might have to boost the salary a little bit for that one. Yeah. Yeah. Big bonus. I can yeah. consider it. Oh, geez. What a time. Just I, I was dying laughing at every tweet that happened. And, and usually we wouldn't talk like this feels like I mean, it's basically is just kind of half, half gossip. And it's not really stuff we would cover on the podcast, but it was genuinely too funny not to. It's just hilarious. Yeah, it absolutely is. So uh, let's move on. But before we do, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 is the highest quality ingredients, strictest manufacturing standards and more made of 75 of the highest quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients in the world and manufactured to the strictest quality standards. It's even NSF certified for sport, a robust certification process that involves ingredient and finished batch testing of AG1. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right. Um, there's one topic on here that we need to briefly talk about. Uh, there's not much to say on it, but it's... Uh, it's not a fun topic to talk about at all, and that is that Milan Lucic is taking an indefinite leave of absence from the Boston Bruins uh, because he was, I believe he was arrested uh, on domestic assault charges uh, this past week. Yeah, it's and, a pretty shitty story. Yeah, it is. Um, I haven't gotten to read too many of the details, but it sounds like, you know, it, obviously it was abuse on his wife. Um, we don't need to, like the... Frank Saravalli, uh tweeted out some of the, the article that kind of spoke about it. So if anyone's interested, they can definitely go read it. But uh, yeah, it's just a horrible situation. And obviously, you know, I've seen some people being like, why have the Bruins not released him? It's like, well, you still do have to let due process play out. Um, but that feels like the inevitable end that we're going to be coming to on this one. Yeah, that will. I'm sure be how it ends, but yeah, it's I'm pretty sure it's a legal matter that you do need to let due process play out if I remember that correctly. Don't quote yeah. me on that. But. Yeah, like it would make sense. And it's kind of why, you know, like we didn't really talk about this on the podcast last week either, but you know, the person who who skate uh hit Adam Johnson has been arrested in Europe, in England. Yeah. Um and the reason we really haven't said anything is again, it's it's from what I understand about how the English system works over there is because it was manslaughter, I believe that he was arrested for. And it's like, this is what happens. Like they, they arrest the suspect when something happens and then go through it all after. And it, it doesn't mean he's going to jail right now or anything like that. But um, that's why we really haven't talked about it. Cause we're just trying to let it play out. Right. Yeah. yeah there's so. nothing we can really add at this point. No, exactly. And same with the Lucic contract uh, or contract uh, situation. Sorry, I'm exhausted today. Um, again, like it's probably not a shocker that we are against domestic violence. It's bad. Yes. I so, can confidently say that. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Uh, we'll see where it goes, but uh, you know, it kind of feels like it's probably going to, you know, the process is going to play out and he'll be released from his contract with the Bruins. And that will be the time in the NHL, his time in the NHL, I would assume. And uh, I'm not going to be shedding any tears over that. So no, not at all. All right. Uh, the last thing I wanted to get to uh, today, it probably, well, it depends how long this takes, but uh, I was reading an article uh, today, I guess it was uh, from Scott Wheeler and Harmon Dial on the athletic and they were ranking the top 10 caller candidates so far uh, of the 2023-24 season. And Jace, since you are a big prospect guy, you know, obviously you got your model and everything. I figured it'd be fun to kind of go through, see how they have things ranked. And we can, you know, maybe just compare to what you thought of the player going into the year at the draft, wherever you want to go with it. And, and just if you feel the rankings are fair. Let's do it. All right. Uh, do you want to start from 10 and go down to one, or do you want to start from one and go to 10? Start from one and go to 10. All right. I think this is since, the... since one's not a surprise. I think yes. it's all right to start at one. You will be shocked to know that number one is Connor Bedard, uh, who was first on both of their ballots, 16 games played, nine goals, six assists, 15 points. Uh, he's averaging just under 20 minutes a game. This was the reason I open this article because I thought, you know, as a topic, we could kind of talk about Bedard because we talked about him at the start of the year and then haven't really talked about him since. Uh, it's really cool to see him already living up to the hype that uh, he came into the league with. Oh, yeah. It's been awesome to see. Like, I was a little worried with the team around him not being able to get him to the puck that people would kind of not overrate, but over expect things out of him. Uh, but no, I mean, he's had crazy high expectations and I think he's been exactly as advertised. Yeah. And like, I haven't watched a ton of Chicago games, but I've watched a couple and it's really cool to just see him because as you mentioned, like they are getting in the puck enough, but a lot of the chances he's creating is him creating it for himself, which is even more impressive. Oh yeah. It's been that's been absolutely insane. He's been the most impressive rookie since Matthews, without question. Yeah, hands down. So, um, yeah, like I don't even know if we have too much more that we need to say about it, but it's been absolutely amazing to watch. And he, like, he's on pace for fifty-one goals. You know, I don't, I don't think he's going to hit that. But uh, you know, in the article they mentioned only three players under the age of, uh, of nineteen in NHL history have scored forty goals in their rookie season, or no, just under the age of nineteen. Sorry. That's Wayne Gretzky, 51, Dale Howard, Chuck, 45, and Sylvian Turgeon, 40. Matthew's not hit 40? Not in his first year, I don't think, did he? Oh, I guess I guess he must not have if he's not on there. I thought he uh, did. But... Let me just look it up. Uh, he had 40, he on, the 40 on the dot. I don't know what this is. Uh, rookie class, he's on page 46 on my so they're 40 goals seems very much only three under 19 players in NHL history have scored 40 goals. Oh, Matthews is probably over 19 because of the late birthday. Mm, yeah, so that that's probably what it'd be then. Um, yeah, so like Gretzky, Harchuk, and Durgin is the only three people. The most in the cap era belongs to Sidney Crosby with 39. Sorry, Take. company. Yep, that's not bad company. And like 40 goals would be a decrease from the pace he's on right now. Yeah, so, yeah, you can regress and keep that up. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he's just been absolutely amazing. Uh, number two is a fun one to me because I don't think it would be on a lot of people's ballots right now, uh, but it absolutely should be. And this is the reason I didn't bring him up when we talked about Sweden is because I knew he was coming up here. Brock Faber is who they have number two, right-handed D of the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, and for people familiar with prospects, this is quite the leap for him. Like, he's been good in the exact way that everyone would have expected him to be good if he hit the NHL and ran with it, which is he's been a defensive force. But um, not a lot of people publicly love Brock Favor for a while. Yeah, and, uh, I, he's been amazing. I didn't even, like, really have him on my radar until the Sweden games. And when I watched, you know, again, both when he was playing Ottawa and Toronto, he was the most notable player, in my opinion, on the Minnesota Wild especially yeah. in that Ottawa game. I thought he was outstanding. And like, he just, I, again, I test isn't everything, but when you're popping up making defensive plays every other shift, it felt like in its own end, it's like, 
huh, this uh, this seems really good. And then you take that he's a rookie, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's really impressive. Yeah, he looks legit. Like, and definitely something that was it was missed on by a significant amount of people. And I wasn't doing draft stuff at the time, but I know for a fact I would have been one of those people if I was. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the other, you know, slight advantage he has to a lot of the people on this list is he's 21. uh, Whereas, yeah, whereas a lot of the guys are 18, 19, maybe 20 on this, um, that are under him, right? So. Yeah, but but still very impressive. And the Wild need it as we kind of went over. Yep, exactly. Uh, Tied for two, I should say, with Faber is uh, Luke Hughes of the New Jersey Devils. Again, probably not a shocking one. This is someone I think that, you know, if you had to look at the betting markets for top three in the Calder this year, Luke Hughes would have been the favorite behind Connor Bittard, I would guess. Yeah, I would be pretty shocked if anyone else was, just because he's older than than the other big rookies. But yeah, he's been better better than I expected, actually. I thought he might have been a bit of a slow starter. Yeah, I I agree. He's been again. I haven't gotten to watch as much New Jersey as I would have liked to, but uh, he's been very impressive. Like one goal, nine assists. But he's again, he's been averaging just under twenty minutes a game and playing really well in both zones in those twenty minutes. Yeah, and I I think he can run a power play one already. Which I mean, if there's one skill that's going to translate, it would be that. But still, yeah, exactly, and. You know, it's nice depth for New Jersey because obviously then they can choose as Dougie Hamilton gets a little older to give Hughes some of these minutes and kind of even it out. Yeah, exactly. Ease everybody else into it because you have legit prospects. Yep, exactly. Uh, Number four is another guy that I don't think would have been on a ton of ballots coming into the year, and that's uh, Pavel Mindyukov. Am I saying that right? Mindyukov. There we go. he is ranked fourth. He was fourth on both Wheeler and Dial's ballots. Uh, he's got a goal, nine assists as well, uh, averaging just over 19 minutes on ice. Uh, another defenseman for the the Ducks, uh, obviously this time. So very defense heavy in the in the list early on here. But uh, um, what was your prospect model uh, outlook on him? And are you surprised with how well you know he's kind of started this year too? He was one of those guys that I'm actually surprised didn't get more press because our model loved them. Like he's good in all of the ways that, you know, public prospect analysis tends to like. Um, no draft minus one year probably hurt him with the uh, with the OHL missing that season due to COVID. But like he was nearly a point per game, 18 year old defenseman in the or draft year defenseman in the OHL like the offensive upside's clearly been there and he's been improving on that in the OHL sense or he only played one year in the OHL sense but still like this is was a legitimate prospect all along I would have never guessed him to start this hot because you know don't bet on defensemen to be this good this early or you'll be wrong more often than you'll be right but still he's been absolutely amazing which has been awesome to see because he was a model favorite yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's second among their defensemen expected goals four percentage apparently this year, and uh, he's his offense has been off the charts. Like he is, the team is generating a lot of offense when he is on the ice. Yeah, which that's always always been the selling point with him, right? And yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to uh, see him actually putting it together at the NHL level because usually the scare people have with guys like Michiko score a lot in the O is that they won't be able to translate, but no, he's been amazing. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like just having talented players like him back in the lineup, I think is just naturally helping their defensive results as well. Like he's not a stud on defense by any means, but um, they've gone from like last year, they were genuinely one of the worst defensive teams we have seen. And yep. this horrific. year, yeah, like just brutal. And this year they rank 20, uh, 22nd in, Corsi against per 60 at five on five and 20th in expected goals against per 60 at five on five. So it's not like they're a juggernaut or anything, but just natural improvement has made this team a lot better. Yeah. And I think it makes sense. You start adding guys like that who can just move the puck, even if they're not defensive forces in and of themselves, like they're going to be external benefits to just getting the puck up ice. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, number five, here's one, the first one that maybe, I don't know if disagree is the right word, but this is where the drop-off really comes for me in terms of, I feel like this is more name reputation accounting stats than anything else. And that's Logan Cooley. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried about his like long-term future because there's probably mostly probably a lot of team effects and stuff going on there, but Cooley hasn't been like a can't miss player thus far to me. No, he he has 12 points in, in 18 games, which is very good, obviously. But and and I think Harmon Dial's kind of wrap-up of him really sums it up is perfectly. It's Cooley has future star written all over him. How could you not believe that when you see his dynamic speed, mesmerizing puck handling skills, and the points he's already scoring as a 19-year-old? The reason I ranked him below the next person on my ballot is that he struggled at even strength. And that's the big thing is he is really, really struggling at even strength. Arizona is getting caved in when he is on the ice at five on five, controlling just 41% of shot attempts and losing high danger chances battle by a 66 to 32 uh, 32 chance margin. Yeah, and like, I don't think anyone's shocked that Logan Cooley because it's all it's he's been bleeding a lot defensively is mostly the cause of this and I, I think that's on brand yeah I I would agree and again like am I sure he's going to be a future star eh, maybe not but do I think he's going to be a very effective player going forward yeah absolutely yeah I think he'll score a lot of points whether he becomes like a wins above replacement god i think is a little less certain than everybody wants to say publicly but he will definitely be a really productive player yeah and i mean he's already showing that like he's got nine points on the power play this year he's only got three at even strength and again like i would assume you know sometimes you can say well that's just a power play merchant but when a guy's this young it's like i i think the five on five points will come it just needs to grow yeah the talent's obviously there and I'm still, I know they're better than they have been, but he's still not in a great environment either, which should presumably get better with time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tied for fifth with Logan Cooley is Adam Fantilli uh, of the Columbus Blue Jackets. He has four goals, five assists, and nine points in 19 games. Um, Columbus has been going through it right now. Uh, the healthy scratch Patrick Line the other night, who I think only has two goals on the season. And Goudreau uh, has been going through it as well. He got benched as well as Line the other night too. Um, I haven't got to put eyes on Fantilli too much, but it looks like he's just kind of been how you would expect most 18-year-olds to play. Like Again, it's almost unfortunate Bedard is there doing so well because if it wasn't for Bedard, anyone else would be like, this is insane what this 18-year-old is doing, you know? Yeah, it kind of ruins, ruins anybody else's chance at a reputation, which... That entire class is going to run into for their entire careers. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's been keeping his head above water, and on a team that has not been uh, not been doing very good. And I mentioned, you know, they're third in expected goals against per sixty, and second in uh, and like sorry, third worst and second worst in Corsi against per sixty as well. So, um, you know, this team has not been good defensively, and the fact that he's kind of held his head above water and stayed right about even uh, in terms of offense and defense averaging out is impressive enough within itself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a great sign going forward. Yep. Uh, number seven is a guy that uh, we've both been pretty high on, I think for, for a number of years now, and that's Marco Rossi. Yeah. It's cool to see Rossi pop. Finally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there's been a reason that he hasn't obviously, but it's been awesome to see. Yeah, and again, he's probably, like, at 22 years old, I think he's the oldest player on this list, so it's not like he's been absolutely dominating or anything like that, but he's becoming a very effective NHL player, which uh, has value in itself and is, again, very good to see given his, you know, recent history. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's too bad because maybe he's not going to be a star like we had, we had thought, but it's awesome to see him being a legitimate NHL player. Yep, absolutely. And again, on a team that we've already said is struggling, Minnesota, Rossi's been pretty solid. Six goals, four assists, 10 points in 17 games. And his underlyings have just been, they've been average. Again, he's the definition of just holding his head above water, which there's still something to be said for, you know, I think this is, I think this is his first technical full NHL season. So obviously if he's on a rookie ballot, so 
it's it is impressive. Yeah, and there's value. An eight hundred player making eight hundred K is average. That's fantastic. Yep. Uh, number eight is a guy we have talked about. We talked about him last week, and uh, he possibly could be higher up on this list, but it's probably a good reason that he's not. That's Leo Carlson. And uh, the reason I mentioned he probably could be higher up is because he's been really good when he has played, especially on the power play. He's been dynamic on the power play, but at uh, five and five, he's been just decent. Um, but obviously we talked about their load managing him. He's only played 12 games so far this year. We'll probably only play 60 uh, total or so, maybe 65 or whatever. But um, I just, you're not going to climb up the list too much when you have other guys playing big minutes. Yeah, and but it, it's good for Anaheim. They're not trying to win him the Calder. They're trying to win cups with him later. If you end the season and he's really good on the power play and scores 45 points in 60 games and keeps his head above water at even strength, like that's a huge win as a guy acclimates to the NHL at 18 years old. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, it, it's good to see him working out this early as well, because he's another one who, you know, kind of got lost in the shuffle, I feel like, at times in this draft. I yeah, think be... it's just, people were, there was like a weird wave kind of going into the draft, knocking him. And I probably wouldn't have taken him too, but like, he was a legit contender for a second overall pick. Like, he is a very good prospect, and we're seeing why now. Yep, Absolutely. Um, and then we're getting close to the end here. Rounding at nine. Nine is a guy where I'm not going to lie. If you put this to just like the normal, like PW, uh, yeah, PWLA or HA, PWHA writers, I think this guy would be higher up the list because of the narrative. And that is Boston Ruin Center, Matthew Putra. Yeah, he's kind of come out of nowhere. Right? It's yep, which helps, I think, the uh, the narrative for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And he's only a four goals, four assists for eight points in 17 games, which is a 19-year-old, still very impressive. Um, you know, he's been just fine at five on five. I feel like he's probably cooled off a little bit for the, since the first couple of weeks of the season. But yeah, I think the narrative would probably boost him up a, to, above three or four of these players, at least. Oh, absolutely. And, and the team success will help a lot, too. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's the thing, because if... You know, he's looking good, but he's on Anaheim or whatever. It's like, they're just probably not going to get as much play as, you know, being heralded as not maybe the savior, but the guy who's playing center in a big role on a team that everyone thought had no centers. Yeah. And then is on a team that we thought has no centers, lost two, one for sure, Hall of Fame centers, and is still currently leading the president's trophy race somehow because life isn't fair. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm curious, you know, what did your model have him as in his draft year? Would, would it have taken him higher, lower? He was 54th overall, so in the second round in 2022. The model was not a particularly big fan. The model is very rarely a fan of the Bruins draft picks, to be honest. Um, I get what they're doing. The model just doesn't. The Bruins very clearly... Um, value like defensive play and whatnot to a way that to a degree defensive play and physicality to a degree that public models that are going to have to be points based because of their lack of other inputs are just never going to agree with these kind of picks and I think they leave legitimate upside on the table with these picks by doing that which it is definitely a mistake, at least in some situations, but also I think there is more merit to it than something like my draft model will ever be able to pick up on, if that makes sense. Yeah, his points also boomed after his draft year too, which obviously if you're just projecting at the draft year time, you you can you can try and project it, but you know, there's sometimes where it's like, well, he doubled his points in his D plus one year. Like sometimes that's just gonna happen and you can't predict that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And especially because was his draft year 2022. Yeah. So he misses his draft minus one year too, which yep. one of the things the models most that I've been noticing recently, the model really like guys who play in relevant leagues early. So like I was running it and Dustin Brown showed up as one of the better prospects um, of the past like 20 years, even though his draft year wasn't particularly impressive, but 
he was impressive as like a 16 year old. Well, the mm-hmm. problem with guys like this is they didn't have the chance to even make, even if they were good enough, they couldn't have made the OHL as a 16 year old because of the pandemic or seven, his draft minus one year. Like he just fully missed that. So it's, it's really tough to evaluate something like that statistically too above and beyond how hard it is under normal circumstances to guess what 17 year olds are going to look like when they're 25. Yeah, if he had was able to play in his D D minus one year and puts up thirty five points in the OHL or whatever, it probably boosts him just naturally, right? Versus only yep. having a fifty in his D year. Exactly, and maybe because he did explode in his D plus one. Yeah, and I don't think the storm were amazing, so like maybe he got PDO'd, and the model just can't tell that. But if he puts up fifty points in his D minus one and then fifty again. Like you can at least see an argument for the fifty-point guy in his draft year, but you just never get that counterfactual because of the pandemic, and it makes it really difficult. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the storm were they were fine, but they weren't like they were thirty-five, twenty-eight, and four, and came second in their division. It's not like they were absolutely they they won ten less games than the Knights who came first in their division. So yeah, so they're not like so good that you're probably losing ice time to better players, and they're not so bad that you're probably killing a guy's totals either. Like there's pretty neutral development environment. Yeah. And then number 10 is a guy we've talked about enough on this podcast already. We probably don't need to talk too much about it, but it's Joseph Wall of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the oldest player on this list at 25 years old. Yeah, he is caller eligible. Yep. Um, This is one where I feel like if they did it about a week and a half ago, this would have been way higher, but uh, save percentage down to a 909. Now he's 6-4-0 on the season. Um, this seems about fair. Like, again, he started really hot, cooled down after that. He's been very useful for the Leafs. And if he finishes the year with a 9-10 save percentage or so and around five goals saved above expected, they are not going to complain about that. Yeah, exactly. If he's just average-ish in that range, more than happy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then some honorable mentions that they threw on this list as well. Uh, Luke Evangelista of the Nashville Predators, Connor Zari of the Calgary Flames, Bobby Brink, who I did not know classified as a rookie still, uh, of the Philadelphia Flyers, Kevin Korshinsky of the Chicago Blackhawks, Matthew Nyes of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and Lucas Dostal of the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, I think all those make sense. Yep. Wool is a Lou pick. Yes. Yep. Wow. (laughs) It's... Crazy to think about that, right? But yes, he is. <laughs> yeah, and he's called her eligible. What a weird trophy. It is, yeah, it's a very strange. Um, it, it's even weirder because obviously they have some age limits too, but it's like, it's always so funny to me how they determine like, why is a 26-year-old eligible or whatever versus 28 they could have saved millions of useless Twitter characters by just making it like 21. Yeah, or like... Some shit like that. Make it, if you've had under... Obviously, whatever your NHL games played is, but then take it to pro as well, where it's like, if you count the KHL yeah. and the AHL and say, if you have played 200 or less KHL or AHL games, you you don't qualify. So Mitchkov isn't competing against guys who are... 14 right now for the Calder when he eventually comes over kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And we don't have to have the whole Artemi Panarin discussion and stuff like that, right? Like, yeah. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, I didn't know Bobby Brink was a rookie. I was thinking of Joel Farabee. They are uh, similar names in my head for some reason, both because they're Flyers prospects who seem fine, but kind of get lost in the mix, if you ask me. Yeah, they definitely... People really liked Brink for a while. I never really mm-hmm. saw it, but not that it's a bad pick or anything. Just people went pretty crazy with him. Yeah, I feel like he had a pretty good World Juniors the one year, if I'm not mistaken, and that's where he got a lot of hype. But um, that would make yeah, sense. And he, he did put up 57 points in 41 games in his uh, last year at Denver. Uh, you have Denver, but. Um, I feel like it was even before that that people were really high on him. And again, maybe he's another one that COVID didn't really help because he only played 15 games in 2020, 2021. So 
Yeah, that that would definitely make sense. I think our model had him as a pretty like high variance guy too. So you know, that's kind of right. what happens sometimes with those guys. They're gonna miss. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I think that's a good place. Again, if you want to read that article, you can go to theathletic.com. Uh, really, really good work uh, by Wheeler and Harmon there. So um, I think that's all for us. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sons and Stuff, Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, and the podcast on Twitter at M&M Hockey Pod. We'll be getting back to doing our uh, daily parlays this week. Uh, so be sure to go check that out. Um, check all of Chase's workout at least eliteprospects.com and my stuff at lastwordnotch.com. Thank you everyone so much for listening and we'll talk to you all next week.